Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel pastoral letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. On today's episode, we talk with Sarah Kismarek. Sarah had a powerful experience with the Lord in youth ministry, had a powerful experience, especially on a mission trip, and now works for Alpha USA. Sarah is a good friend of mine, and I've seen firsthand the great work she does and the way she helps people know Jesus and follow Jesus. So can't wait to have a great conversation with her. It's great to have Sarah Kazmarek here with us in the Open Door Policy podcast studio. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Uh, we are going to kick things off with what we like to call the rapid fire question. So are you ready? I don't think so. <laughs> well... Get, but we'll get find ready. Yeah, get ready. Here they come. Here First they question. Go. Jump right in. What did you have for breakfast? Nothing. Coffee. Mm. What is something that you remember from your grandparents' house? This is such a good question. I just did this uh, at a talk I gave. So my grandmother, it was one of my favorite people, uh, really exemplified unconditional love to me. And so every time we'd walk into her house when we visited her frequently, she'd say, baby, come on over here. She says, go in the fridge and get yourself a snack. And she would keep the vegetable and the fruit drawer stocked with little Debbie treats, like never a fruit, never a veggie. Yes. That's where we were allowed to go grab ourselves a snack when we walked in. So to this day, little Debbie, like zebra cake, star crunch, oatmeal cream pies, gives me all the feels. Nice. What is your favorite band? Dave Matthews Band. DMB. Are you a morning or a night person? Mm, The older I get, neither. (laughs) What was your dream job when you were a kid? When I was little, I wanted to be a hairdresser because I just wanted to make people happy and feel good and look good. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Sarah, what's one thing that annoys you? People who chew really loudly with their mouth opens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> opens, open, and I can't even speak about it. And it makes me that angry. Uh, and uh, people who don't use like turn signals, things like that. Got it. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you've just won a road trip for the weekend. Where are you going to go? And mm. who are you going to bring with you? Mm. Uh, probably my two uh, ride or die girls, um, Monica and Mary. And we're going to go, I don't know, I feel like we're going to go to Maine. All right. What is one thing that's been on your mind lately? Uh, women in the church, um, just like I just feel this, this this heavy call from the Lord to just call women into fighting for the church. Sarah, what's your happy place? Northern Michigan, up north, as we say, if you're a local, right? So up north, where it's quiet and there's no self reception. What's the last photo you've take you took? Uh, probably of my hair. I like blow dried my hair this evening before I came and then realized it's a podcast so no one will see <laughs> it. So that was a waste. Okay. We saw it. Did you see it? Yeah. Good. <laughs> what would you tell middle school, Sarah? Uh, relax. It's not that big a deal. Sarah, hypothetically, if your house was on fire, everyone was safe, all the pets were safe. What are three things you would take with you before you ran out? Wow, three things. Hmm. Probably my Bible, which I know sounds really cliche, but my Bible, my journal, 
I don't even know if I could think of a third thing. Is okay. that bad? No. no. Even think two's okay. Mm-hmm. You only two's have two okay. hands. Yeah. Okay, I only got two hands. Uh, Sarah, who in your family has had an impact on your faith? Um, yeah, probably probably my parents, definitely, for the most part, have had, uh, in my family, have had the biggest impact on my faith. Who is one of the first people you met who was really sold out for Jesus? Wow. Good question. Um... I don't know. I didn't actually meet them, but JP2 hmm. was this this like emblematic of like sold out. JP2, to me. we love you. Yeah, and I, and we were close. He just didn't know it. <laughs> uh, okay, one more from me. What is an award you won in middle school or in high school? Okay, <laughs> so there's this thing called the Ed Lauer Award, and it was for leadership in sports. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I won that. Um, awesome. Thank you. Good Thanks. work. What that wasn't was, so bad. Yeah. Oh, no, more. I, I there's more. There's more. A few more. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time that you cried? Uh, yesterday morning, talking about the Book of Esther. Mm-hmm. Who? What is your favorite movie of all time? Yikes. That is a toughie. Goodwill Hunting is is up there for me, so I'm just gonna say Goodwill Hunting. Sean, if the professor calls about that job, just tell him sorry. I had to go see about a girl. Well. Yeah, and if you weren't in this line of work, what would you be doing? I would be a barista at a coffee shop making coffee and giving people like prophetic words of encouragement when I gave them their coffee. That's awesome. Um, if your life was made into a movie, what genre would we be watching and who would be playing you? Good one. Um, probably a comedy of all varying sorts, but uh, growing up, people used to tell me that I reminded them of Gina Davis mm. uh, in like a league of their own. Like there's something about something we look alike. So probably Gina Davis I'm going to go with. Yeah. Google that if yeah. you don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Say, Evelyn, can I ask you a question? You got a moment? Mm-hmm. Which team do you play for? Well, I'm a peach. Well, I was just wondering, because I couldn't figure out why you would throw home when we've got a two-run lead. You let the tying run get on second, and we lost the Would you consider yourself more of a dog or a cat person? Dog. No cats. All right. That's it. Those are the questions. You made it through. Thank you. Yeah. Good work. Let's talk about a couple of those. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you remember uh, JP2? You you said he was a a really important person in your life. Do you remember him as a little kid or in high school? Um, I probably, I remember having a consciousness of him in high school. Uh, I went to a Catholic school. Um, so there was oftentimes, you know, made mention of what, um, the Pope had said, but my first world youth day experience, I think is when I like fell in love with which him. Which was, which one? Was Rome. Hmm. In 2000? In 2000. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, I was getting ready to go off to college and, uh, I had never encountered the presence of God so powerfully in a person who was not like very near to me, right? Like he was yeah. far away, but as he like would drive by, walk by, as he would speak, I just felt the nearness of God and just felt almost like palpably loved um, when he would speak, when he would address us, when he would directly challenge us. Like I felt loved and encouraged and challenged all at the same time by him, which I feel like is, is God. Right. That's what he loves to do. So, um, yeah. 
I remember feeling that way in 2002 in Toronto for World Youth Day. Just like, is that the first World Youth Day you went to? That was, yeah. Nice. Like, this guy, man. Were you at that one too? No, I wasn't. I was off in college not doing JP2 things. And so (laughs) now. We'll we'll hear a little bit about about that later. Yeah, but uh, even to, to this day, when I when I started taking young people to World Youth Day as a leader, they would show these videos, like these, like um, looking back videos on the life of Saint John Paul II, and I would just like weep. Yeah. Now you said that your mom and dad kind of were the ones who introduced you to the faith life. Was there more one like one more than the other? Um, I was really close to my mom, and she was a convert, and I just really admired her courage to choose to become Catholic at like 16. Mm -hmm. Um, But my parents were very focused from a young age on us having a relationship with Jesus. So uh, they always lived out uh, that, you know, a relationship with Jesus is important for us and also a dependence on God for provision um, was also something that they showed us in the way they raised us. Yeah. That's great. Um, I wanted to ask you about Maine. Have you been to Maine? Yeah, once. Where'd you go? Uh, Portland. Okay. Yeah, it's beautiful. Visited like friends and I don't know, there's just there just seems like so much wilderness to explore there. There's like an unknown aspect. And Monica and Mary, like what's the vibe of you guys traveling together? Like what do you what do you have to do with those girls? Uh Monica and Mary are actually we're like accountability, like spiritual sisters yeah. and but they're very spicy and they're very funny and we just are who we are. Um, you're the, they're the people that you have like that first conversation with in the morning before your filter has come mm-hmm. down, before you've really recognized like how you should behave and what you should say. They're those kinds of girls. You can have those conversations, but also really deep spiritual conversations. Um, they're very, they're just up for anything. Yeah. That's great. Uh, a barista. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would be the best coffee drink? What, what is the, your favorite, your go-to coffee Ooh. drink? Um, when I'm feeling fancy, I might get a mocha, but hopefully it's like craft made homemade chocolate syrup. Doesn't it need like 14 words to be, uh, (laughs) no, 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 I don't like those ones where it's like a triple grande, whatever, no foam reverse flipped, (laughs) like whatever. I don't like that. Um, but yeah, I would say probably a mocha, but Um, you are a coffee drinker. That's all you had for breakfast. You said, yeah. Coffee is life. Do you have a particular one? You're like, this is the one. Like, do you do it black? Uh, No, definitely coffee with cream. No Mm -hmm. sugar. Big fan of um, like a lot of the local coffee shops for my coffee. So like Great Lakes. Love you. Little shout out. Send me something if you're listening. (laughs) Danielle, are you a coffee drinker? No. Not. Have you ever had coffee? No. You don't have coffee. I'm sorry, friends. (laughs) I actually want so. Um, one time I like didn't do a ton of youth group stuff through the parish growing up, but I went on like a bus trip to a conference and I remember I was like a freshman. It was like eighth grade year going into freshman year and this guy got on the bus and it was like 4 a.m. or something ungodly and he had, it was like a leader and he had already got his coffee. I was like, you prioritize getting coffee over sleeping? And he was like, never get addicted. You don't understand. And I was like, mm. oh, and that like, put the fear of God in my heart and I never tried it. The fear it. of coffee. Yeah. In your heart. The fear yeah. of coffee is in my heart. Yeah. But wow. guess what? I wanted to be a hairdresser too. No way. Yeah. Makes not, sense. Not me. 
No? No. You didn't I want to? never sure. wanted to do that. I could yep. see it. You you would be a great hairdresser. Nope. <laughs> I would give one haircut. That, that buzz haircut. Can right? you give Number me, three. Can you give <laughs> yeah. me Our Lady of Guadalupe undercut? Like? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I can't do that. Wow. Well, this is a fun way uh, to get to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said absolutely not a cat person. Not, no. Do you own a dog? No. If I didn't travel as much as I did, I would totally have a dog. What and breed? Yeah. Uh, a King Charles Cavalier. Mm, a little Spaniel. Yeah, so it's kind of like the one that uh, Queen Victoria always had. Yeah. Dash was the name she called And it. that's the name you would pick. Probably something adorable and winsome like that, like Dash. Dash. Probably with an accent, too. <laughs> Dash. <laughs> Let us uh. walk around the park. Sarah, would you be so kind as to talk to us a little bit about your faith experience, your testimony, and how Jesus has been a part of your life? Sure, yeah. Um, I guess for me, uh, don't get nervous. I'm going to start back when I was like five. Take it there. (laughs) um, I remember being like five and having just such a strong sense of how much God loved me and how much he protected me and my family. Like, I just remember having just this very strong sense of the love of God at a very early age. So much so that when I remember going to Catholic school and sitting in my kindergarten class and this very kind teacher getting up and saying, well, you know, God loves everyone. And I was like, no, he doesn't. He just loves me. (laughs) Like, But that's like for me was that first moment of recognizing the all-consuming love of God that he loves in such a way that it feels as if he couldn't love anybody else Mm -hmm. because he loves me that much. Um, And so I just, I remember having that and growing up, especially as a small child, but then moving on through life, um, you know, the world comes in, uh, influences from your friends come in. uh, The world tells you all these other things are going to make you happy or be interesting or exciting or more exciting than radically living your faith. Um, And in a particular way, I had a bit of a a struggle with my faith when in my senior year of high school, one of my best friends committed suicide. And for me, um, I wasn't one of those people who got very angry with God. Like, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you do that? I just sort of felt felt this numbness towards Mm -hmm. God for the first time in my life. So for someone who always had a sense of God, God's love and God's presence, this numbness was was really hard for me. So I spent uh, pretty much my whole senior year feeling that. Um, And I participated in like my church youth group from sophomore year through um, my senior year, but... um, felt a little bit like a hypocrite that I was going, but I really just didn't feel this connection to God anymore. Right. And it sort of culminated in this moment on um, a mission trip in Honduras where I was sitting in this beautiful open air chapel uh, in, in Honduras and I was supposed to be planning prayer again and just feeling like I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't pretend anymore. Um, so I just, I threw out that prayer to God like, you need to show up and you need to move and I need to feel you again. I need to know you love me. I need to know you're for me um, or we're done. Like I just can't, I can't do this anymore. And um, I felt that the, the presence of God uh, just overwhelmed me. And then I began to feel the God, feel God even like inspire me to read a certain scripture, to plan a certain way. And I felt like in my heart, he was saying this was for a particular person on our trip. And So Sarah, is this in high school? Yeah, so it was my senior year in high school. Senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... um, So uh, also, because you said you went to Rome, 
Yeah. So this is before that, after that? Before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, just had this moment then in prayer, uh, planning prayer for our evening time on this mission trip. And it was amazing to me because in that prayer time, we were in different small groups from the young man that I felt like God was saying, this this is for him, this will reach him, and I'm going to use you to reach him. Um, and I said, like, you know, to my small group, I think this is for him. I, I, I planned all this for him. And in his small group, he was sharing, like, this hmm. was exactly for me. The Lord, like, is speaking to me. He wants me in a relationship with him. He's inviting me to come home. And then in the large group, I had that, like, recognition, like, wow, God, you are moving in my life. You still um, are close to me, and you're going to use me. Um, to change people's lives. So I'd love to say that I went off to college and did this like really amazing job of following the Lord and growing as a missionary disciple. But um, I kind of put him on the back burner, took advantage of the fact that I knew he'd always be there um, and wandered off uh, from my faith in some ways, and especially in practicing the faith. Um, And so after college came home to study uh, counseling, a graduate degree in counseling, and someone said, like, it'd be a really good idea to be a youth minister while you're going to grad school. It's a great gig. And I was like, okay, sure, I can do that. Like, I was in youth group once. Um, So that's just, like, proof of God's, like, sufficient grace because I had no idea what I was doing when I first started in ministry. Um, But kids very quickly can tell if you have an authentic faith. Yeah. And I began to become convicted in myself that, like, you know, Scripture tells us we're supposed to be in the world and not of it. Well, I was uh, definitely trying to live in both. Yeah. Right. Like I was, I was definitely in the world, and I was fifty-fifty of it, fifty like fifty like with God. Right. And so, I felt very double-minded in my life, um, and encountered some people who just had a radical faith for God, and I wanted what they had. And so I asked them, like, would you pray for me to have what you have? I want this encounter with God, I want to give myself completely to him and not look back. And so um, they prayed for me just to encounter the love of God. And I had uh, just an experience of the Holy Spirit uh, that radically changed me. Like I woke up the next day with such profound joy Hmm. that I really, like if you had asked me, I would have said with all the certitude in my being, I will never be unhappy again. Hmm. Like this joy was so pervasive and like nothing in the world satisfied me. Like everything that used to like attract me, movies, TV shows, bars, things that like every 20 something year old would say is like, this is what I do for fun, paled in comparison to spending time with Jesus. Like I was just so radically in love with him. And like that really for me was this like shift in the trajectory of my life um, that moved me towards seeking the Lord first in everything. And knowing that, like, he has the words of everlasting life, so nothing else is ever going to fulfill me or give me uh, the joy or the love or the grace that I really believe is intended for all of us as we um, travel through this world on our way back home to be with the Father. So um, that moment really changed everything for me. And then I began to live my faith in a different way. I began to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything. Um And I saw my faith come alive in a way that I didn't really even think was truly possible. Um, Even when I was growing up and knew the love of God, to have this faith that was transformative of myself and the people around me and the world around me um, just was Mm mind-blowing to me in my like early 20s. Did that change your relationships with people? Like as you talk about like Jesus becoming the center of your life, 
Did you already have friends who that was normal for? Or were there people like, uh, Sarah, um, I'm not sure. Like, I think you people, know, like, 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 yeah. How do I relate to you now? I don't think it was like as shocking for a lot of people because they knew I worked for the church. Yeah. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, Sarah, she like works for the church, right? Um, so <laughs> I don't think that part was so shocking. I think for me, I just hungered though to have community and fraternity with other people who shared what my experience, who had that hunger for Jesus, who had a thirst for souls. And so um, what I found was not so much that the people that maybe had known me before this like big moment had any issue with who I'd become, but rather like I was seeking a new kind of Mm -hmm. friendship. Um, And so I was just, I actually, it was a, a bit of a challenge that I had like Jesus now in a new radical way. But then I was looking around me and saying like, but I need some people here, Jesus, to kind of walk this out with me because I don't know everything and I don't know how to do this well and I don't know how to do this in community. So that was kind of the start and now you're still in ministry, right? Yes, I still love Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. More and more every day. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that shifted even the way I did ministry, right? So I said I was working as a youth minister in a parish, and then I became just devoted to trying to have uh, young people experience that same encounter Mm -hmm. that I did. So it it shifted the way I viewed my role uh, as a youth minister. It shifted the way um, that I believe that God can move and work in their lives too. Uh, Just this this radical dependence on God uh, to show up. Um, And that's really what led me kind of to my work with Alpha and in, in using Alpha in my parish. And now I work for Alpha full time. Um, but yeah, it was like this whole trajectory of my life just shifted from the time that I encountered him so powerfully that, that one night. So Sarah, you talked about, um, how profound it was for you to experience the Lord and then now working in the church as a youth minister, working for Alpha now how you get to see other people do that. That is such a beautiful part of being in ministry, right? There's a lot of challenges that can come with working full-time in the church. Uh, But one of the great aspects of it is that we get to see people encounter Jesus, that Mm -hmm. we get to be there when they come to know the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I love about Unleash the Gospel is it returns us to that primary focus. When I look at the foundational conviction and it says, like we need to return to have that missionary conversion hmm. to come back to the original purpose of why we're a church, why we're here following we Jesus exist. because of his great love for us and getting to see other people do that. That's so cool. And Danielle, like you work in the church, you get mm-hmm. to see that. I think of Unleash the Gospel as this call for us back to the original meaning of what uh of what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus and to be his mm-hmm. followers. I And if I can maybe jump in. You can. Thanks for, thanks for your permission. <laughs> I'm um, glad you did. Yeah. <laughs> I was in, through your eyes, Sarah, what does it mean to be a joyful missionary disciple? What does that look like? And um, Father Steve's eyes too. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think for me... That is like living the authentic witness of our encounter with the Father on Mm -hmm. a daily basis. Like if you have spent time 
with the Lord. Um, if you have spent time in his heart, if you've been loved by him, you've had communion with him, um, intimacy with him, it's hard not to walk out of that place um, with joy and love and hope and grace just radiating off of you. Um, so I feel like that's like almost the litmus test of where we are yeah. in terms of mm-hmm. our own intimate relationship with the Father is that when we go out to witness that, it's an authentic witness of joy and love and mercy and grace and a movement of the Holy Spirit that like almost that the that people would encounter um, God through like the residual presence mm-hmm. that you carry from spending time with him uh, in his throne room. So I think that means that we should be joyful Um, I mean, there's a grind in ministry and I get that. Um, so we have to make the room for us to first like re-encounter the grace of God, uh, and then make sure we're making enough room for God, um, to encounter the people we're ministering to so that in the middle of the grind, we get to be a part of that grace, like step on that holy ground, see like, like father Steve was talking about those moments of encounter, like radical encounter with the love of God, the healing of God, the mercy of God, that's what keeps you going, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what helps you like grind it out when you're like filling out an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I hate, right? Same. But like there's just, that's just the reality of ministry that there is this stuff you have to do. So hopefully you can have the space and make the space for God to do what he longs to do in people's lives. Were you a part of the Synod? Synod 16, were you here? You were here for that, right? Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to me that was so cool to see like, people from all over the church, yeah. all over the archdiocese coming together and saying, okay, yeah. what does it look like in 2016, 17, 18 mm-hmm. going forward for us to be this missionary church? Yeah, We've inherited this way of being a church, mm-hmm. uh, and the Synod talks about all, all the great things, Unleash the Gospel talks about all the great things we've inherited, but we've also inherited a bit of a, a maintenance mode, right? Yeah. We got a lot of buildings to keep up. We got a lot mm-hmm. of processes to yeah. processes, however you say that mm-hmm. word, uh, mm-hmm. to continue. Um, but in doing that, it's so easy for us to lose sight of what it means to really be the church that God wants us to be. And yeah. I know we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about one of the foundational habits for that is to be docile to the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. That comes through in the letter as a good habit. To be docile to the Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit lead us, maybe in a new direction, faithful to what Christ calls us to, uh, to what Christ has founded in his church, but new in what that looks like here and now. That's really exciting, but that's a little scary, at least for me, too. Sure, sure. Yeah, Yeah, I remember even having a conversation around a table, uh, actually with the Archbishop, where... Um, Name drop. Go ahead. <laughs> I know. You hang out with them all the time, so you're quite a big deal. But for the rest of us, it's a nice moment uh, to spend with uh, our, our good shepherd. And he was asked the question, like, what if the Holy Spirit really breaks out in Detroit? And, like, mm-hmm. what if that just makes a giant mess? Mm-hmm. And he uh, just with such like faith and humility was like, wouldn't that be so exciting? <laughs> right. And, and and one of the cool things is that's not his natural disposition. Right. right? And so exactly. to see the Holy Spirit working in him. Yeah. And really even I beautiful. think that was like so evident at the Synod. Um, for some of us who were at the Synod, we were just remarking at the joy that was just so palpable. Like, I mean, because Synod's meetings... Sometimes when we talk about diocesan yeah. gatherings or whatever, it's not always like 
permeated by a lot of joy or we're not coming in with an expectation that's going to be such a joyful experience. But there was joy. There was laughter. There was love. The Spirit of God was present in the room, in the conversations, in the way that people really like leaned in um, to, do, to talk about tough things and to be honest and vulnerable with their experiences in the church yeah. today. Um, and then just even to see, you know, how then our archbishop responded with such humility and grace and joy and love. Like, he, he was just, all in. He was all in. And he was like, it, when he said, he said something about like, you know, I just feel like the luckiest priest, right, <laughs> in the world because I have you. Hmm. And it just was this beautiful image of, it reminded me actually of, how I felt when um, we were with, you know, JP too, right? Like the love of the father, just his joy, his delight that we were there, I think just came through so beautifully at the synod through the archbishop's remarks and just the way he was there. So, And and now we have this pastoral letter, right? Yes. (laughs) Unleash the gospel. Unleash the gospel. Uh, And Danielle, like you're one of the boldest people I know. Uh, you're really good. (laughs) You're really good at being bold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you see this being, you know, what the Archbishop has given us, what the Holy Spirit has given us as the kind of the roadmap in some ways in Unleash the Gospel. Like, does that call to be docile to the Holy Spirit, does that ever scare you? Like every day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I guess I, because it's so, there's so many unknowns, right? But that's when you have to be rooted in what you do know. And that's, that God does love you and there has to be that trust that he's not gonna drop you, right? So actually, I think probably most people wouldn't know this. One of my hobbies is the circus arts. And so... (laughs) What is that? I'm sorry, I I need to know. So like... um, so like the circus, you know, you've been to the circus and so like people who can like, you know, climb the silks and the trapeze. Oh, like acrobats. Yeah, like acrobats. So... I do some of that, and there's, like, these parts. Like, I've done some partner work. I do a lot of single work. But there are these parts where someone's just holding you in the air, and you're just supposed to let go. And mm. you, I'm actually notoriously bad at letting go at this one point yeah. because <laughs> it's scary. Because, I, I mean, like, you need to trust people before you can let go like that. And um, so I think that that's a large part of this is is knowing that this is a God we can trust, yes. right? And he hasn't let us down in the past. We can look to the past, look at all of these things that he's done for us and the way that he's spoken to us and the way he's always given us more than we can ask or imagine. Beautiful. Do you, do you remember when you first read the letter? So you were yeah. at the Synod, yes. you, you were kind of there when, uh, when all of the input was being gathered, but do you remember when uh, Unleash the Gospel came out? Um. Yeah, I remember thinking about almost being nervous to read it, um, knowing that we had prayed and met and spent so much time, you know, just seeking the Lord and and begging God for his spirit to guide us. You get a little nervous because you're like, this is the culmination of all of this work. Is it going to live up to it? Yeah, right? right? Yeah. Um, So I I was actually a little nervous and, uh, I remember beginning to read it and just being overwhelmed with gratitude to God that that one that he poured his spirit out in a way that is so evident in the pen with which like um, our archbishop like wrote this letter. Like I, I actually sat down and wrote a letter in response to the archbishop after oh, I this. I always meant to do that. Because I, I was just so grateful. I, I just felt like 
he was the pen of which the Holy Spirit was able to write the beginning of a new story for the church in Detroit. Yeah. Like he was just an obedient vessel or instrument. Um, And it just moved my heart that like this was the fruit and this is what came from all of that. And it was like even exceeded my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. which is encouraging when you go into it really nervous. <laughs> With so high I, expectations, I, I, right? I definitely shed a tear or two of just like gratitude and just being overwhelmed by the goodness of God through uh, what we, we see evident in the letter. Yeah, you took... Uh, oh, oh, I was, I was going to say, um, we were chatting a little bit earlier about, especially guidepost number five, about mm-hmm. there being no bystanders and how that was something that really struck you. Yeah. Can you speak a, a little bit more in depth about that? Yeah, I feel like this is a desperate need in the church today, right? Mm-hmm. That when we encounter the living God, when we are radically changed by him, there we cannot just sit on the sidelines. Uh, there's like this image of church sometimes that is used in Alpha, actually, where um, it's kind of like a soccer field right now where there are 20 guys on the soccer field who are in desperate need of a break mm-hmm. and 20,000 people on the stands in desperate need of a little exercise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the church, I just want that like excitement, that that joy they have when they're watching a soccer game yeah. to translate into the joy they have in this radical encounter with God and that everyone needs this. Like no one should be lost. There should be no one that we could say, you're not worth going out and getting. You're not worth leaving the 99 to go get. And, and everyone has a role to play, Absolutely. right? Everyone's yeah. got, everyone's part of the mission. That's yeah. what I think about no bystanders. There's no bench warmers. No, exactly. There's no one there who's just kind of like, your job is to fill the water bottles, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. no, God wants you in the game. In the game. Yeah. And that can be scary if I'm yeah. used to being on the bench, or that can be scary mm-hmm. if I look around and say, well, I don't. I don't have the talents or the skills this person has. So we need the Holy Spirit. Has, and we just need to beg the Holy Spirit <laughs> yes. to give us the courage yes. to lean into that. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit yeah. for a minute. Okay. <laughs> Love um, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That, you know, we mentioned docility to yeah. the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is huge. I know the Holy Spirit is a big part of your spirituality. How do you see that in Unleash the Gospel uh, in the pastoral letter? And then how do you live out of that? Yeah, I think, I mean, when we just recall the fact that, like, so one of the bad habits that's talked about in Unleash the Gospel uh, is this idea of fear, right? Or um, that we can become afraid or we can be paralyzed by even myself, like the amount of work, like it just seems so big. Can we even really do anything? Like, will my contribution really change or shift anything? Or I can be fearful of what other people will think um, or do I really have what it takes to enter into the game, like yeah. as you mentioned, right? right. Um, and so for me, the power of the Holy Spirit is is so comforting because he does all the heavy lifting. Like mm. when we ha- enter into that relationship with docility and say like, I will do however, whatever you ask and however you lead me. If you say hit the gas, I'm going to go. If you say pump the brakes in this, I'm going to pump the brakes. It's this like constant presence of God uh, through the person of the Holy Spirit that to me is just the most encouraging part of entering into this work of evangelization because I know I'm not doing it alone ever. And he's going to do the work. He's going to do the convicting. I simply have to be obedient in those moments. Yeah. Um, so for me, like just seeing the openness of um, 
the church in Detroit right now to the movement of the Holy Spirit. What do you want to do, Lord? Like, have your way. We beg for a new Pentecost. We want the Holy Spirit to blow through the doors of our churches. We want renewal and revival through every church in the city of Detroit is like super exciting. Um, But yeah, it could be a little scary if that's like your first experience of the Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit or you're thinking like, but we know that as part of the Trinity, as part of God, that that he is good, he is safe, he is trustworthy, and he's faithful. Yeah, I, you know, that, that fear, that bad habit of fear, right. I was thinking about that. Yeah. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I met a young couple at uh, one of the parishes where I help out at and um, got, got to learn a little bit about their life. And when I was praying a few days later, they just kept coming back to my mind. And I felt like, okay, Lord, you want me to do something about this. So I said, yeah. okay, if I see him at Mass this Sunday because um, I don't know if they were going to come to this Mass, I'll reach out to him. And lo and behold, they were there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I talked to them after Mass, and I said, you know, I'd love to get to know you guys better. And they said, we would love to have you over our home. So I went over their home for dinner uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a week after this, and uh, they just opened up uh, kind of the challenges, the joys of their life. And they said, Father, like, wh- why did you, what made you want to talk with us? And I said, you know, it just, you came to me in prayer for some reason, which mm-hmm. I was a little afraid to say, because right. I thought they were going to be like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, but uh, the wife, like her eyes started to fill with tears, yeah. and the husband just kind of like grabbed her hand. It was this beautiful expression of God wanted to use me yes. to show them how much they were loved. Yeah. And it just took me saying, all right, okay. Lord, like I feel a little, it's a little more forward than I would have been, but right. if this is what you want me to do, Okay. And it brought a blessing into someone's life, and it cost me very, very little. little. So when you talk and about you like, yeah, and I had an awesome dinner, by the way. So <laughs> nice, God uh, net, set up a net dinner. win in all sorts of ways. Uh, but when you talk about the Holy Spirit doing the heavy lifting, yeah. that came to mind very much. And I think that that ties into Guidepost Six, which we were talking about, which would be that person-to-person engagement. Because I assume yes. if you were at the mass, you were also doing other priesty things. Yeah, so like I, the I saw them perhaps. doing the homily, and I'm like, right. oh, that's kind of cool. And then I kind of, I forgot about it and they came up like after mass, like sought me out and I thought, okay, Lord, this is, this is so (laughs) clear, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here comes the hammer over the head. Yeah. Got it. So yeah, that, that is guidepost six there. Um, Accompanying people going out. Yeah. That, that is one that I think we don't necessarily do a great job with. What do you guys think? Who do you see in your lives that you're like? That that one person is is going out. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot more simple than we make it out to be. Mm-hmm. I think uh, actually, I think the enemy wants us to think it's this huge thing, this very yeah. scary process, right? Um, and and there's actually even a principle. I think it's Pat Lencioni that he talks about this. It's very simple, and to me, illustrates this beautifully, where we all have this circle of influence and a circle of concern, hmm. right? So the circle of concern, like, wow, I want to reach everyone for Jesus, mm-hmm. all of Detroit, right? entire world. And so you're just yeah. like so overwhelmed by like that's a lot. How am I going to do that? But God's given you a circle of influence. So like the people that are around you, the people that he puts in your path every day, the people that you encounter as like even you're walking down the street into your office, at work, uh, in your family, in your neighborhood, um, we're surrounded by a circle of influence that I believe if we just lean into accompanying them, listening to the Holy Spirit to, to be obedient, like Father Steve said of, 
I think the Lord might be asking me to invite them to dinner or just to engage them in conversation, to, mm-hmm. to love them first, to build that bridge of trust so that Jesus can eventually walk over that bridge of trust into their hearts. Um, so it's less scary when we think about the going out, right? Like everyone imagines going on the street, carrying a big cross, like doing mm. all that stuff. And maybe a few of us will be called to that particular way uh, that evangelization and going out is enfleshed. But I think that going out is just taking church outside the four walls of a building and bringing it into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, wherever we have that like circle of influence, if you know, in your vocation and, and, and state of life, um, that God will use you mightily if you just say to him, I'm yours, Lord. Like, One of my favorite quotes about ministry is, Remember that ministry is primarily about relationships, not about tasks. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting for me to remind myself that, like, honestly, even my coworkers are my ministry, yes. right? Yes. Um, and that in some ways my family is my ministry. I mean, in some way you guys are my ministry yeah. too, right? And for you guys Amen. to show up and talk to me and encourage me to read these things more, like, yeah. all of this is a part. And there can be a trap if we work for the church to think, okay, my job is just to do this process. Really sweet program. Yeah, Yeah. or or to kind of always have this, I don't know, 10,000-foot perspective. And and really, like, what I love about Guidepost 6, person-to-person engagement, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is about, like, no, it's about connecting with people. You you were saying that, Danielle. It's about building relationships. and. Whether I'm a priest, whether you're, you know, a full-time lay minister, um, we really have to be intentional. And I don't think we always do this very well. Yeah. We have to be intentional about building relationships with, I, I love your, the phrase, circle of uh, influence, right? Mm-hmm. That people in my life who I need to support and be there, uh, but also maybe I need to like reach out a little bit more sure. and, and bring someone else into that. Yeah. Uh, and to see that is a huge part yeah. of what it means to me to be faithful to Christ, even yeah. as a full-time minister yeah. in the church. But taking it step by step, right? That like we grow in our faith and we see God's faithfulness it was just the little steps that we take. And I think that then increases our boldness to trust him more that like when the Holy Spirit kind of prompts you as you're walking down the street, yeah. you know, and you see this person or you see someone uh, in a particular situation or circumstance and the Holy Spirit's like, go pray with them, go just engage them, just say mm-hmm. hi to them, whatever yeah. it is. Um, as we practice those little steps of faith right around us, it grows our faith to mm-hmm. then have more boldness, right. I feel like, to go out uh, even beyond that circle of influence. Yeah, and it's about connecting with people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I know you are you cut your teeth in youth ministry. I know <laughs> yeah. you, you, you do so a lot with Alpha now, but like yeah. young people see through when yes. you're being fake or phony yeah. <laughs> so easily. Right. And, and it's so important, not just with young people, but with everyone to be like, I'm yeah. here for you. And, and I, I want to be as undivided, undividedly here for you as I can be right now. And that's how the kingdom's going to grow. Yeah. Father Mallon has this great, this great phrase that I try to remember, particularly in church ministry. He's like people over programs always, mm-hmm. yep. always. And I think that the more we live that and then flesh that and then encourage other people in a very natural, organic way to just say, what I've done with you, what I've walked with you, just find one other person to do that with. Um, we will exponentially grow the church and we'll have more disciples uh, than we can imagine. I think uh, if we just really focus on growing that person that God has called us into their life uh, with and then encouraging them to do the same. 
just wondering for the people who are listening, um, is there anything that you'd like to share with them? Add anything else? Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Final prayer. Mm-hmm. Anything. Final I'd prayer. Love to pray. Final word. Could I? Pray? Can you? Can you send a blessing for them? Yeah. Could I pray yeah, for man, the church? Go for it. We'd love for you. Too. Yeah, I'd love to pray. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. Father, I just thank you for, thank you for your love, thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for your Spirit. And I ask now that your Holy Spirit would come. And would rest on each person who is listening and on every person in the Archdiocese of Detroit. God, we give you permission and we ask for the grace to be docile to your spirit. God, that we will be joyful missionary disciples, that we will always see people over programs and that we will walk one by one with each other into your kingdom one day. God, I pray for just a, an incredible, powerful move of your spirit. But mostly, God, would you release your love on each person who's listening right now, just a release of the Father's love over them. May they have a fresh encounter of you that compels them to take you with them to every person they will meet today, tomorrow, this week, for weeks to come. Lord, we love you. We worship you, we praise you, and we adore you. And we ask all of this in the mighty and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, Father Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, it was great Sarah. to have you with us. It Thanks for having me. A grace and a blessing. Thanks for being on Open Door Policy. Thanks. So glad Sarah came by the Open Door Policy studio for us to have a conversation about what it really means to unleash the gospel in our lives. Sarah is a great disciple of Jesus, and I can't wait to see the way the Lord uses her in the years ahead as she unleashes the gospel. Next time on Open Door Policy, we'll talk with Monsignor Dan Trapp, one of the very best priests I know, and hear how he is living out this call to be part of the movement of Unleash the Gospel. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for the ride. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. Open Door Policy was recorded and produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit by Ron Pangborn, who is convinced that if you listen to these podcasts, you'll be saying, I will never be unhappy again. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Open Door Policy.